Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Saturday, July 30th, 2022. And Mr. Taylor has been something of a moving target over the past week or so, so all right. You were down in San Diego for Comic-Con until Saturday, right? Yeah, I got home about 1 o'clock in the morning on Saturday evening. So it was one of those things, Jim, where I looked at a friend and we looked at the schedule and we were like, wait a minute, we can go home tonight. (laughs) So that, you know, everyone thinks it. We actually did it, Jim. You know, that's the difference. So you were in Hall H, right? Oh, yeah. Did a Hall H, did a did a whole piece about it, and then uh, got up, had mm-hmm. dinner. We had some Italian food, and then I went home. So, it, yeah, it was great. But again, you didn't stay home, because what was it? Monday afternoon, you get in the car, you drive up to San Francisco for some family stuff, but you did squeeze in a trip to the Walt Disney Family Museum at the Presidio and, and got to see the exhibition that's going on right now. The Walt Disney's Jungle Book making a masterpiece. Yes, which is being which was curated by by our friend Andreas Deja. Yeah. So very very. We'll talk about it later. Okay, but, second yeah. half of today's show, and yeah. and also uh, Mr. Taylor slipped in a, a visit to uh, the Pixar campus, which which we also will touch on second half of today's show. But first, the news and the news portion of fine tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So we got a brand new animated feature out in theaters this weekend, DC League of Super Pets. I love that this is coming from WAG, the Warner's Animation Group. That said, this Jared Stern film didn't get stellar reviews. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 72 freshness, audience score of 87. You've seen this, Drew. What did you think? I haven't. I didn't get to see it, Jim, because I was so oh, pressed for right. time that Dang. I couldn't okay. get to it. Yeah, I, I was doing the the light and magic junket at the mm-hmm. same time on Monday, so I could not I could not get to it. But I will be seeing it soon, maybe okay. tomorrow, and I can't wait to see it because I I love Jared Stern and obviously all the stuff he's done for the Lego movies. So, and Animal Logic too, who did the animation. So I'm excited. In, in spite of the 72 freshest rate, it's projected to sell 22 to 23 million, which isn't light year money. I mean, light year made 50.2 during its first weekend in domestic release back in June. But that's still enough for Jared's movie to claim the number one spot this weekend, which that's enough to put in the box. Yeah. And yep. that's enough for, you know, the next set of ads and, you know, all that. So it's a good thing. Speaking of light year, though, want to remind folks that. Pixar's latest becomes available for viewing on Disney Plus this Wednesday, August 3rd, literally the day after the show goes live. You have to check it out on Disney Plus. It's a surprisingly good film. Though speaking of movies that are, are animated features that are showing up at, on streamers in the not-so-distant future, we got finally got our Guillermo del Toro teaser for Pinocchio. What'd you think? I thought it was pretty amazing. I mean, as I tweeted, I'd hate to be another studio releasing a <laughs> Pinocchio movie around the same time. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to admit already just the story points, teeing up the whole fathers and sons having difficult relations and 
and the notion that Geppetto's a grieving dad, which puts a whole different color on the notion of him making the little wooden boy. And I also, I love how the workaround for the cricket being the conscience that little voice you hear inside, you know, because, well, he he lived in the tree that Geppetto cut down and turned into the wooden boy with the borrowed soul. Yeah, that's a stroke of genius, if I Absolutely, so. and I, I love what they layered in there in the trailer, the notion of the gods that don't meddle in the affairs of men, but occasionally. But it's still on track for December on Netflix, is that right? Or uh, Yeah, theatrical in November, and then... On Netflix in December, and I'm sure there will be a very heavy push for that for the Best Animated Feature Oscar. And I, I love this is stop motion. It makes me very, very happy. Speaking of stop motion, Wendland Wild is going to have its world premiere at Toronto International uh, Film Festival next month, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's sort of establishing that as a potential Oscar uh, spoiler as well. Yeah, I cannot wait. I want a full trailer, Jim. Jeez, we need it. We yeah, need it. I know, I know, but you gotta wonder with two very high profile stop motion projects coming. And again, this is from Henry Selleck. You gotta wonder what the, the plan here is, you know, to the effect of, okay, how are we gonna break these out and make sure they each get their moment of the spotlight? Because, I mean, Toronto's gonna help, but that's a t- September and then. Wonder Woman Wild doesn't actually show up on Netflix till October, right? Yeah, if I had to guess, uh, it w- it's going to be part of the um, Halloween programming. Oh, um, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, but beyond that, they they also have the Sea Beast, uh, Chris Williams' wonderful film, as well mm-hmm. as Richard Linklater's Apollo Ten and a Half. So they already have like a lot of potential best animated feature mm-hmm. nominees. It'll be interesting to see how they carve up that apple. Yeah, yeah. It's always interesting to, to you know, especially when a studio has two darlings and they have to decide who gets to step into the spotlight. Speaking of stop motion, earlier this week we lost one of the giants of this, this form of animation, and that's Paul Coker Jr. You're familiar with his work, right? I mean, you grew up watching holiday specials like Frosty the Snowman and, and Santa Claus is Coming to Town and all that. Oh, yeah. And, and also, you know, on the subject of Halloween animation, you know, one of my favorites is Mad Monster Party, which he uh, did wonderful designs for that. Yeah. And that sort of slides easily into the work that he did for Mad Magazine. Yeah. Paul did some great, great work, but at the same time, also produced hundreds of cards for Hallmark over the years. So he was in our lives in a lot of different ways. And it's kind of a credit to his legacy that we lost him at 93, and that was still too early. Yeah. Speaking of losing, folks, you wanted us today to talk about how Mike Moon, uh, who's been the director of adult animation at that streaming service for over four and a half years at this point, officially exited that streaming service at, at the end of July. Yeah, I'm just I'm just wondering how it's going to upset the balance over there and Jim, you know I'm always worried about what's going on at Netflix. So Yeah, yeah. Mike's a pro. I mean, I first met him during his stint at Disney Television Animation and he previously worked at Sony Pictures Animation and, and Cartoon Network and this is a sort of guy who knows how to get a show up out of the ground and work it through that very convoluted process. So 
do we, we get the sense that the dust is finally going to be settling over at Netflix now? I mean, I hope so. There's just so many projects over there that I'm worried about because of his departure. So, you know, we're getting a second season of Inside Job. I'm very excited about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, we still haven't heard anything about Mike, about Alex Hirsch's uh, upcoming show, which was for adult animation. I don't know how this is going to affect mm-hmm. the adult animation features. I just have a lot of questions, Jim, so... No, yeah. understandably, and, and face it, late last month, uh, Netflix uh, reported that it lost nearly a million subscribers in the second quarter of 2022, but it was interesting to watch them spin that. It was going to affect, they were telling folks on Wall Street, well, you remember, it was projected we'd lose 2 million, so not nearly as bad as it should be. I've been paying attention to your other gig, what the, the rap has been reporting on what's going on with streaming, and you guys did two stories this week. There was the one about there's a fear right now that Peacock may be flatlining that may not make it in a year's time. Likewise, you guys also ran a piece about how Wall Street is supposedly sending the message to a lot of streamers to the effect of that they need to spend less on content. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild, especially when you consider how many giant streaming things are coming out just later this month, Jim, in, in August, like. You know, we've got House of the Dragon and Andor coming out and She-Hulk, right? So it's like, whoa, there's there are still tons of things. And yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because Wall Street was the one that said streaming is the future. You know, mm-hmm. Bob Iger said Disney Plus was the most important thing he ever worked on at the company. And now Wall Street is saying maybe not, maybe not. So, yeah. You just mentioned She-Hulk, which, of course, brings us to Marvel. And you got to attend the, the Marvel studios animation panel while you were down in san diego and god there's a lot of stuff headed our way through through them as well i mean doesn't groot i am groot start this week it does and i've seen all the shorts which mm-hmm. are adorable have you watched mm-hmm. them yet jim did they send no, them to you no okay. no yeah it's sort of like it's sort of photo re- it's like the groot from the movies basically mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, Luma, which is this great uh, animation studio, did the animation, and it's just Groot kind of at different stages of his development. Mm-hmm. So you see him on the Ravager ship. You see him as a little when he's in the pot, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of Guardians One. Um, and so it's just really, it's really delightful. They're they're shorts. The whole thing, t- it, you know, occupies about twenty minutes of of time. So really, really delightful, and will get you really ready for the. Guardians Christmas special this year, and then Guardians 3 next year, which I, I did see the preview for that in Hall H, and wow. Wow, wow, wow. It is Well, James something. Gunn was already telling folks to be ready that this one's going to be a bit more emotional than the previous two, and, and sort of warn people, we're going to get Rocket's backstory. In fact, you guys get to see Baby Rocket when you were in the room, right? Oh and it was- my god. I, that ba- Seeing Baby Rocket was... Just as emotional as the Black Panther trailer oh. for a different reason, but oh my! Okay. I literally like clutched my chest when I saw Baby Rocket because uh. it was very sad. But it looks really wonderful. I cannot mm-hmm. wait for Volume Three. Okay, okay, yeah. May of next year. Yeah. They also talked up the Marvel Zombie series, talked up season two of What If It and. You got to see a a whole episode? Really? Yeah, it was what if... Oh, God. It was like, what if Captain Carter fought the, you know, the Hulkbuster? Mm -hmm. Basically, what if she fought Steve in the Hulkbuster armor? He came Mm -hmm. back, but he was different. And so it's a a pretty 
It's a pretty interesting episode. It was great. I mean, I love What If. I think it's great. And, and Zombies is, is continuing the same aesthetic. And they laid out who's a zombie and who's not a zombie and mm-hmm. uh, all that without actually showing any footage. But, mm-hmm. you know, the What If world is going strong, Jim. Cool, cool. Now, I also have to ask about Spider-Man freshman year because they were just was reading some some after action articles, and so this is a multiverse show. It, it's not set in the 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 really for real Spider Verse, right? I don't know. I I guess so. I mean, they initially said that it was supposed to be in the lead up to Spider-Man Homecoming, mm-hmm. but it's completely different because he already knows Doctor Strange. One of the runaways is his classmate. You know, it's not MJ and Ned and all those characters. So, um, yeah, it seems multiverse I guess. Yeah. Well, look forward to that. Likewise, the, the X-Men 97. But at the same time, it's not just Disney Plus that's leaning heavily into animation. I mean, Paramount Plus, they've got Title Zone. Uh, that's I saw the, that. The, yeah, yeah, first crossover of the the SpongeBob universe. We we get a show that that involves characters from Camp Coral, uh, the Patrick Star Show, and of course the Mothership uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. By the way, really, I want to thank you for recommending as enthusiastically as you did uh, Star Trek: Strange New Worlds because I. Finally carved out some time to watch it, and oh my god, I mean, you're right. This may be the best Trek in a long, long time. Yeah, I thought it was an absolute joy. Yeah, great writing, and I love how it plays loosey-goosey with the world that we know and the characters that we know. But did you see that coming this next season of of, uh, Stranger Worlds, they're actually going to do a crossover with Star Trek Lower Decks? No, I did not see that. (laughs) Supposedly the voice actors are actually going to come on the show and play the characters that that they play on the show. Oh, uh, speaking of which, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3 debuts uh, later this month, August 25th. Then, less than two weeks after that, we get the debut of Season 6 of Rick and Morty that shows up on Adult Swim on Sunday, September 4th. And then, just a few days after that... We get season three of Central Park, which, which features friend of the show, Josh Gad, who, by the way, when I did that interview with him for uh, Disney Dish, he, he went out of his way to, to make sure that, that he said hello to you. So, oh, good. But again, okay. that, that shows up on Apple Plus TV on September 9th. But long before that, on, on Apple Plus TV, we, we get luck that Peggy Holmes film from Skydance Animation, which, Drew, you, you have seen at this point. I have seen, I have seen luck, yes. Okay, and it becomes available for viewing later this week, August 5th, right? Yes, correct. Let's take a, take a quick break and then want to get your thoughts on luck. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling 
wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get to luck, the big animation story this week has to be that Popeye animatic that got out there. Yes, I have not gotten a chance to watch it yet, but I did find a way to download it, so okay. I will be watching it soon. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing that the whole thing leaked. I mean, yeah. kudos to whoever did this. Supposedly, there's a key piece of the puzzle here that has only just come to light. This is something that Kennedy was trying to make in 2013, 2014 at Sony, and I don't know if you saw that interview where he explained that basically Amy Pascal, the then head of Sony, said, Kennedy, we love you. We just don't like Popeye. So can you go make another Hotel Transylvania movie instead? But had you heard the story about how 2020 there was some talk about reviving the project or maybe moving the project someplace else? Yeah, I mean, I'd heard rumblings about King Features actually taking it on because they had gotten a little bit more aggressive in the animation space with the Cuphead and working on that. But I don't know what happened. I mean, I didn't I didn't know if it was going to be Gendy or if they were going to bring somebody else in or what. Suddenly, there's a whole different set of suspects as to how this footage got out there. If they themselves were trying to get, you know, a Netflix or someplace else interested in taking on this project but we'll pause here i, I want you, you yeah when i will you watch get the to... whole thing and then we will we will discuss in depth for sure have you been watching primal jim i have and so there are 10 episodes this season because at this point i'm three maybe four in right okay yeah i mean i talked to him and i think this is going to be the end of primal the dinosaur era but he talked to me about making Primal something of a brand, you know, where it can be different things underneath the umbrella. So I look forward, if this is the end of the Primal saga with the dinosaurs, I look forward to what he is concocting next. This has raised the bar in so many different directions between animation, design, storytelling. And again, think about how much of this is told without a single word of dialogue. Just absolutely amazing. So, so we've talked about Popeye, we've talked about Primal. Let's talk about luck. You've seen the whole movie, uh, Peggy Holmes, who you know we both love. Yes, we do both love Peggy Holmes, yeah. Okay, but doesn't quite work for you? It does not quite work for me. Did you read the Hollywood Reporter piece about luck earlier this week, Jim? That was really more about John Lasseter's second act, right? Yeah. Although they did, they did confirm some things about Ray Gunn, uh, including that Teddy Newton and uh, Tony Fucilli are on the production team, which is very exciting. All true. Um, All true. But I thought it was interesting how already Laster's gotten in there and changed directors and done mm-hmm. all these things. And 
you know, Pete Doctor has not fired anybody since he took over. And the movies have been pretty good. I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. Yes. Yeah. When Iger made the decision to buy Pixar and then put Lasseter in charge, there were a number of films in the pipeline. A Day with Will Robinson, which became Meet the, uh, the Robinson. We also had American Dog, which eventually became Bolt. And we really didn't get a Disney John Lasseter film till Princess and the Frog, right? Yeah. So could this be the same situation? This was so far along, there's only so much work you could do, or...? I, I mean, they redid it from the ground up, basically. And it very much has all the hallmarks of a John Lasseter film. There is a John Ratzenberger cameo. There's a whole sequence set in a tiki bar. It feels very much a Lasseter joint. Um, mm-hmm. I just I found it to be a little too complicated story wise. I thought there were a lot of moving parts, and I talked to Peggy last week, and she talked about how there were there was no superstition. That was something they were not going to bring in. So you mm-hmm. know, nobody in the movie throws salt over their shoulder, or you know, and then so all of that stuff is not in the movie, which I think could have helped. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, there's a really great emotional core to luck. And some really moving scenes um, set in our world. But when they go into the luck universe, it gets a little too complicated. And mm-hmm. I was having trouble following it. And I cannot imagine in what children might mm-hmm. might feel. But there's some handsome animation. They, they hired a lot of people from Blue Sky to work on mm-hmm. this movie, which they even have an outpost in Connecticut. Do they? Yeah, Skydance does. So. Mm-hmm. I have very mixed feelings on it. I'm I'm very happy it exists. I'm happy there's a new Peggy Holmes movie. I'm obviously, mm-hmm. you know, over the moon for Ray Gun coming out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I this one didn't totally work for me. Let's just yeah, say that. Okay, we'll tell you what. It, you go watch Popeye. I'll go watch this. We'll come back yes, next we'll week and back. talk. Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> got to tell you, very very jealous that that you got to the Disney Family Museum and checked out this Jungle Book exhibition. 300 pieces of art, again, curated by Andreas. What'd you think? I liked it a lot. Jungle Book has never been a particular favorite of mine. I don't know how you feel about it, Jim. I have a little trouble with the whole making a masterpiece subtitle for this exhibit, because, again, I'm, I'm kind of on the same sheet of music. I mean, it's a good film. Played the album a lot when I was a kid. Enjoyed it. But if I'm listing Disney masterpieces, I don't know if, if Jungle Book's going to make that list. Well, it's also you can feel it them kind of straining because everything at the family museum had to be something that Walt did. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like this one is even pushing it a little bit because he was not there to finish it, obviously. But yeah. Um, yeah. I thought about that as I was leaving. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you can only do the movies where he, or he was alive for or the projects he was alive for. How do they deal with the Bill Pete situation? Okay, so I was actually going to bring this up, Jim. Um, cool. So there's just one wall that says the initial direction of the film that Pete presented was ominous and mysterious with a storyline very similar to Kipling's collection of stories. Mm-hmm. Walt's feedback was positive on the script and storyboards, but he was dissatisfied with the dark tone. Walt insisted on moving further away from the original source material in order to make the film lighter and aimed at the family demographic. Though Pete had made a sincere effort to replicate the drama and mystery of Kipling's stories, that was simply not the story Walt wanted to tell. Pete left the Walt Disney Studios in late 1964. 
So it talks about how Walt's direction was basically like, we have a we have a Jungle Book, let's make it a Disney Jungle Book. So mm. yeah, there was not a lot of art from that period, although from what I understand, it was you know they had storyboards for the whole thing. Basically, they did, right? they yeah. did, and and you know there's this. <laughs> I think it's it's the Sherman brothers who tell the story about when they were called in as part of the rescue team that came over the hill to retool. Jungle Book and Richard Sherman, who told me the story, you know, he they go into Walt's office. They literally, you know, it's like, okay, so this is the book, you know, we're basing the movie on. The first thing I want you to do is don't read the book. Oh yeah, and yeah. Let me tell you the story of, of this movie. I mean, that again, Walt had a very strong vision of what he wanted to do, and and also, did they talk at all about how this was the first time since? Sleeping Beauty, right? That Walt was really heavily involved, at least in the story sessions for a film. Right? Yeah, I don't film. know if they talked about it, about him being gone as much, but they did say that he was pretty involved. And obviously, you know, the use of xerography was a huge component to the production, which was interesting. And, you know, all the wolves are based off of the 101 Dalmatians dogs, right? Yeah. In fact, I know that, that everybody always makes a big deal about that scene in Robin Hood, the, the phony king of England, where it's stitched together Jungle Book dancing and Snow White dancing and, you know, things from all over the place. But this was really the first film where they lifted Wart with the, the dogs at the castle mm-hmm. and redid that footage. In fact, I... Isn't there also stuff of Mowgli that they then recycled for The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh? Oh, okay. Traced over for Christopher Robin. Yeah, it's interesting that there's stuff like that alongside like some of the strongest character animation, I would argue, in the in the Disney library. And and obviously the reason why this is such a beloved movie for animators, they do this whole section about how Frank and Ollie did the Ka. Mowgli scenes and mm-hmm. you know Ka covering his mouth with his body and mm-hmm. all this stuff I mean it's really amazing stuff and it definitely takes you through that process you know there were original model sheets that had had Wooly's signature on it so it just oh. said okay Wooly you know so stuff like that was really neat to see in person there's always one story I love about the Jungle Book and again it makes me appreciate the film more but supposedly when they've they finally locked the story when they finally figured out how they're going to tell this and all that. And so Walt gets up to leave the conference room with the guys and just pauses and just, you know, just says something effective. I forgot how much fun this was. And then just sort of walks out the door and it was a room full of guys who'd worked with him for 20 years or so. And it's like, yeah, you remember when it used to be fun too. But if this is the film that convinced Andreas Deja to get into animation, I can call Jungle Book a masterpiece, given all the great work that Andreas has done since then. By the way, have we heard anything about his his Tiger film project? It's been a while. No, I mean, the last time I talked to him, he was like, I'm going to Disney Plus and pitching it. And so it's like, okay. I mean, I, I should follow up now that I've seen the exibit uh, yeah. as, a, as a pretext and say, yeah. where, where is it? Okay. We need it. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, Brad Bird is, is mentioned a lot, too, in the exhibit. This inspired him. And mm-hmm. one of the more fun aspects was, and I'm sure you've heard all these stories, Jim, but, but how kind of chaotic the I want to be like you recording sessions oh. were. <laughs> and, and how they were kind of parading around the studio. And 
how the final version was somewhat somewhat made more tame by the composer of the film. But yeah, yeah. well, well, that was the thing. Like, you you get Louis Prima, and he brings his band, and it just you get a, a little bit of that flavor. But he's basically doing his Vegas act in the recording studio. I don't know if you've heard the stories about he really loved having this brand new audience with Jungle Book. And so he constantly campaigned to come back to work at Disney. In fact, in one of the weirder recordings on the planet that there's King Louis pays tribute to Robin Hood. Have you heard about this? No, this was a merchandise. They had a whole wall. I'm looking right now, Jim, of all the all the merchandise that came out afterward. I mean, it was a pretty it was a bonanza, this movie. They market it as the last animated feature that Walt Disney himself worked on and, and and supported it, as you mentioned, with the tidal wave of merch, which sold. Prima really wanted to get to work again with Disney. So he actually, there's a separate recording of all of the songs from Robin Hood, but it, it's Prima and his band doing them. It's very strange. So again, just to remind your folks that the Walt Disney's Jungle Book Making a Masterpiece will be at the Walt Disney Family Museum through January 8th of next year. Haven't heard yet what they're going to follow it up with, but I don't know if you saw the stuff that's coming out about the, the D23 Expo, how this September's event is going to be the official launch of the start of the celebration of the 100th anniversary of the company. Yes, yeah. I forgot to tell you this, Jim, but you know Richard Sherman was stationed at the Presidio? Was he really? He was. So, I mean, literally, and we actually stayed in a inn at the Presidio that used to be barracks. It was a really <laughs> cool old, like, you know, kind of like bed, almost bed and breakfast style facility, about a five-minute walk from the Walt Disney Family Museum. So it was very, very nice to have all that history, you know, Jim? That's the way to do it. I, yeah. I keep making the mistake of staying in downtown San Francisco and getting a cab and then it taking forever to get there and yeah. never having enough time to, to actually explore the museum. I feel like if you, you don't set a say, aside a day, at least a day or two to do the Disney Film Museum, you're just not seeing everything. So Yeah, I kind of made the decision. You, t- you had told me that, Jim, and I kind of made the decision to breeze past kind of the... Um you know, Walt on the farm years. Cause that, you know, we've gotten it. We've read it in all the biographies. I don't yeah. need, you know, they have like buttons from family members, wedding dresses. And st- I mean, it is insane. The level of kind of granular detail they have in this museum. So absolutely. And yeah. it's so much hands on stuff and, and that sort of thing. But, but again, glad you enjoyed it. And again, that that's a really smart way to do it. Say it a bed and breakfast right there on the studio. But of course, while you're you're up in the Bay Area, you make a trip over to Amoryville as well. Of course, you know I always have to, Jim. I have to say hello. You know the campus misses me, and I ha- I had to go to the store, and you know I thought I would let you know, Jim, that while I was there, I made an adoption. Here we go. No, yes. no, you. Oh my God, you yeah, got it. I got it. There is a low, low Pixar. Mm-hmm. store price mm-hmm. and there weren't that many left jim to be, okay. <laughs> to be honest Dang. And so i got i got approval from my mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. very patient wife and so i, I Holy took cow. This, this home yeah oh that is so cool yeah. wow oh yeah. 
I approve and applaud. Okay. And you did a press event at Pixar. You always ended up in the studio store. You actually bought something for yourself because I never get to do that. I'm oh, yeah. whenever I hear from you know friends and family here that it was up at Pixar doing something, it's like oh, you know, can you get me a shirt? Can you get me a hat? And it's just you know walk out of there you know with with five items that are never for me. Yeah, I took some time. I, you know, I had a day off, so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just I'm gonna buy a couple of things, and mm-hmm. I haven't been in so long. You know, we haven't. There hasn't been a junket up there in a million yeah. years, so I feel yeah. like I was making up for lost time a little bit. But you behaved yourself, right? You stayed on the first floor. You didn't I go did, upstairs. No, no, I was I was being chaperoned by someone too, so I could okay. not. Although I, I did see Pete Sound milling around and you know oh. talking talking about Elemental, but I you know I, I averted my ears, of course, Jim. So, okay, yes. okay, because that's always enjoyed getting up on the second floor for the the gallery space because you always learned so many interesting things up there. Yes, I think that's when we first realized, oh, the climax of Incredibles two is taking place on a boat. Very interesting. <laughs> this was not in any of the presentations today. So, oh yeah. I, no, I mean it's so funny when I was up there for the Good Dinosaur presentation. It was one of these things that finally get to sit down with with Pete and talk with him about you know the whole well spoiler spot gets adopted by another caveman family and and Pete went pale. It's like. How do you know that? And it's like, because of the piece of art that's out here beside the door on the way into the conference room. And he's like, hello. (laughs) Damn it. Didn't think about that. So, uh, well, no. All right. That sounds like a great week. But also, it sounds like you need a nap. I do. Thank you for going in two different directions. How many uh, ballpark? How much mileage did you put in the car? (laughs) I didn't drive to Comic-Con, thank God. So, yeah. It was about six and a half hours each way to San Diego, to uh, San Francisco. All right. Well, you don't just do this podcast. You also have your your wonderful light diffuse, which are how far away are we now from the big two hundredth episode? The two hundredth is coming out tomorrow, <gasps> so I'm still hesitant to talk about it. But we will we will go in depth next week, I'm sure, Jim. But I will cool. say you have to tune in. I think at this point, people will know that Mr. Tom Cruise is on the. On the episode, if if Aaron doesn't jump the gun and post this on Monday again, um, yes, okay. this will have okay. to be a Tuesday release for that. Yeah, that so is, I, that is such a great get. But again, I, I you earned that. You've done such a wonderful job covering the Mission Impossible movies, and likewise, you know the Omens work that you and Charles have done with uh, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, we we look we we hope to do more Top Gun Maverick episodes. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it, it's exciting. I'm glad we did it. I can't believe we made it this far. It, it's lasted as long as it had because you guys do a good job. You, you, oh, thank you get you. amazing people on the show and get them to tell these incredible behind the scenes stories. So seriously, folks, what a great way to start! Uh, if you haven't uh, listened to Light the Foods yet, yeah, yeah, listen to certain Tom Cruise. See what he has to say. Yeah, about. it's a good. It'll, I think we're gonna have a lot more viewers uh, or a lot more listeners this week. Joe. <laughs> I would be shocked if that, that didn't happen. But yeah. But again, on the other side of this, this thing, when things calm down, you're going to want to say, I knew Drew Taylor when. Okay? Oh, yeah, and right. so, I know I say this every show, but you really need to be following Drew on social media because you, you get to learn all sorts of cool things ahead of everybody else. So, can you tell folks how they can f- find you on social media? You can find me at Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt, on 
Instagram and Twitter. And what about you, Jim? You didn't talk about your other shows or your social handles or anything. Come on. Social media wise, let's see. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News, and the other podcasts. And nothing nearly as impressive as the 200th of, of Light the Fuse. But we've got Disney Dish uh, with Lentesta, that's at Steam Park News. Uh, we have uh, Looking at Lucasfilm uh, with Brian Gaughan and, you know, all sorts of Star Wars and the like. And, of course, we have Marvelous Disney, uh, which I do with Aaron Adams, and it's all sorts of Marvel news. Uh, if you do, Drew and I a favor, if you get out over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not only this show, but also Light Diffuse, uh, that would be helpful. And Drew and I will be back with a brand new fine-tuning this time next week.